January 24th, 2024. This one's called Food Trends of the Year. Greetings everyone. Back from my hiatus slash sabbatical, taking a walk in the snow. And for today, I want to start off the year by talking about some food trends, some things that are on the horizon when it comes to food, health, and nutrition, and some things that are just so 2023. Okay, so let's start this out. All right, the top healthy trends for 2024. And of course, some of these I may agree with, some of them I may not agree with. Of course, some of this is probably just promotion from Big Z. So the first trend is deemed being convenient, low effort meals and meal kits that still feel like home cooking. Well, of course, that's better than something like, let's say, Hamburger Helper. But what's better than that is actually taking time to make some freezer meals on a certain day of the week, perhaps a Sunday, and then filling the freezer with that so you have a convenient low effort meal that actually is home cooking. But in lieu of that, if you don't have um, freezer space, you don't have the energy or time to do that, there are some better kind of convenient meals on the market because typically that realm of food or shall I say quote food was usually pretty uh, low in nutrition so at least that's that's changing so that's that's somewhat of a plus. Number two is nostalgic snacks are back. All the things you loved as a youngster, gummy candies, colorful cereals, cheesy crunchy snacks, and fizzy canned sodas. So all of these things are kind of, I think, very quintessential, kind of like 90s kids snacks. I didn't grow up eating a lot of these things because I was kind of a different kid in the 90s. But nevertheless, they're making kind of healthier versions of these. Even kids that grew up in the 70s and 80s will kind of relate to some of these uh, snacks. They're like a brand now, for example, that makes a, a Pringles-style chip that's a little bit healthier or gummy bears that don't have like the food dye in them and things like that. So are these things really the best things to be eating all the time? Certainly not, but they're definitely healthier than the, you know, old fashioned store brand ones. And it seems like the millennial generation really likes this nostalgia. So maybe that's part of it. And speaking of nostalgia, I've been hearing lately that the Zoomer generation is really into collecting things like uh, cassette tapes and considers them retro, which is kind of funny because cassette tapes are something that I, of course, grew up with, like many of you listening. Number three, this is a good one whole food eating and not restrictive diets. I think a lot of us are just tired of the restrictive diets. I mean, they're so zoggy. They really breed this kind of scarcity mentality. Things like keto, paleo, carnivore, veganism. These once reigned supreme. They also create this kind of in-the-box thinking where you can't think in like a nuanced yin and yang way. So they kind of really cause some type of brain damage if you think about it that way. But people are ditching those and they're more into intuitive eating and that people are eating more for longevity and seeking to eat a well-rounded diet. A strict adherence to diets is not really in the mainstream anymore. Eating has become more flexible. Now it's tied more to not just eating for health physically, but also eating for health mentally. And of course, keeping a lot of dietary restrictions can affect someone's mental health. 
I've been seeing a renaissance in certain places of the Mediterranean diet, which was popular in the 90s. It kind of came after the whole low-fat 90s trend. Of course, many of you remember those times in the early 1990s, in the mid-1990s, the whole uh, scared and fear, the, scarce, the scarcity mindset and the fear that went around with fat, the snack wells, cookies, all that type of stuff. And the Mediterranean diet came out a little bit after that. It wasn't super low fat, but it emphasized using more plant lipids than animal lipids. And whilst it has many good tenants, I think it's missing a little, a little bit, just like essentially any type of diet is. But it seems now that a lot of people are not just into the Mediterranean diet, but the Blue Zones diet, which is really not a diet because what they tell us is blue zones. And I believe I've gone through this on other broadcasts in the past. What they tell us is actually blue zones is kind of just um, a way to promote some of the popular Zio sludge diets and narratives and um, I guess the propaganda that goes around with food. But the blue zones, of course, are five parts of the world. Nicoya, Costa Rica, Loma Linda, California, Ikaria, Greece, uh, Okinawa, Japan, and what's the fifth one again? Um, oh, Sardinia, that little country that's off um, of Italy, just like Corsica, but they're, they're more Italian. The Corsicans are a little more on the French side when it comes to diet. But those Blue Zone diets that are actually authentic to those areas of the world are very different than what we're told is a Blue Zone. But nevertheless, this restrictive dietary culture is going out the window, which is good. But then, of course, as the pendulum swings, some of us may think, oh, we restricted, we were in the scarcity mindset for so long. Let's go full into this abundance mindset with food, which sometimes can lead to taking in too much nutrition, too many calories, too much food, too much fat, too much protein, too many carbohydrates, which we've kind of already see happen to people who have followed some of these um, more, quote, ancestral regimes like the Weston A. Price Foundation diet, uh, the raw primal diet, um, even the carnivore diet. I would kind of put in both categories of abundance because it's way too high in too many foods and then scarcity because it's way too low in other foods. And of course, I think the pro-metabolic diet as well. But I think that adherence to these regimes is waning and people are thinking more for themselves, which is good because we should be thinking for ourselves in a multitude of ways. Of course, food is just one of those. Number four trend, protein for humans of all ages. There was a time when only serious weightlifters or athletes were prioritizing protein. But in reality, protein is essential for all humans, regardless of lifestyle. Even young children need protein in their diets. So it's not just like the idea that like you need it if you work out. Older people need protein too. And I will add this, that our bodies can manufacture carbohydrates and our bodies can manufacture lipids. Not to say we should go without carbohydrates and lipids, but our bodies cannot manufacture certain proteins, especially certain amino acids. And I know that there's this big debate about what is protein, like is protein from a plant or an animal. Basically, the cliff notes of that is that it's more bioavailable when it comes in animal form, uh, typically more digestible. Sometimes one would even say more satiating, but it can also come from plants as well, and that the best 
most roundabout diet is going to include sources of both and I think you get into trouble when you really just focus on doing the plant protein. I think this is especially true for people who have European more of the North ancestry because if we look back at our people they ate a lot of those foods like I have talked about in a, a show a while ago maybe few months back or so, talking about uh, the country of Iceland and how their diet is, you know, of course, fish. It's more like reindeer when it comes to ruminant meat or venison than it would be, you know, beef and bison, you know, here in the States and other, other areas, uh, dairy, eggs. And they are some of the happiest humans on the planet and they're eating their natural diet. So I think that these plant-based diets are really more deleterious to those who have more northern ancestry and I also think that when we see people oftentimes who have success with these diets that are lower in the animal proteins oftentimes they will have origins like south of the equator like it is it appears that a lot of people who have African heritage do a lot better with more of these plant proteins. Of course, that's not an end-all be-all because there are certain tribes like the Maasai who just live on blood and milk for the most part. But uh, they do have a different microbiome than us. Every race does. And they also have different dentition. Their teeth are totally different. So a lot of this, of course, you will not hear in the media because it would be deemed, you know, racist speak. And it's not, of course. It's just the nuances of nutrition that come with being aware of anthropology. Number five, baked goods with real sugar instead of sugar alternatives. How many of us are just over the monk fruit, the stevia, even the more zoggier ones like the Splenda, which is sulacrose, um, Equal, which is aspartame, and then Sweet and Low, which is saccharin. All of this is out. All of these paleo and keto desserts, all of this is just so 2023. People actually want real sugar. Erythritol is another one. Malitol, all of these sugar alcohols that cause all types of intestinal turbulence. We don't need this. So do we actually have to eat white sugar? We don't have to. We could do honey. We could do maple syrup. We could do maple sugar. We could do date syrup. We could do brown sugar, coconut sugar, etc. Whatever you fancy. I like maple syrup, maple sugar, and honey. That tends to be my preference. Brown rice syrup is another one. Maybe you haven't heard of it. I used it a lot um, back in like the 2000 era and in my childhood. So there's many barley malt. There's many sweeteners out there that aren't fake. Don't have to necessarily be white sugar because we're always told this dialectic. It's always the same thing. This extreme or that extreme. So always find the nuance. The nuance is always going to be a more nourishing perspective anyway. Number six, the next phase of alcoholic beverages. Oh, non-alcoholic, pardon me. The non-alcoholic category has been booming for a few years, but 2024 will likely welcome a whole new wave of elevated beverages to replace the usual beer, wine, and cocktails. I'm not too jazzed about this trend. There are all these, quote, functional beverages. It really sounds like a very zoggy buzz phrase right there. Infusing them with adaptogens and mushrooms and all of this stuff um, for a new and improved zero-proof beverage. So this is something that's new. I think this resonates with the um, truth that a lot of people just don't have the organ health to tolerate alcohol anymore. I heard something recently, I was listening to this um, 
this podcast, this webinar about non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. It's a type of liver disease people get from not utilizing alcohol, and that the liver transplant list here in the States is longer than it ever has been. So we don't have the liver function as a society that we once did. So I think that that is pushing the trend towards these non-alcoholic beverages. Now, does that mean we should go out and we should get pissed drunk every day? Well, certainly not. It's just an observation. But the reason some of these trends exist is because we don't actually have the organ fire for these foods or beverages. Number seven. Number seven, legumes everywhere and in everything. The bean trend, something I've been talking about and reporting on the broadcast for a little bit of time. So beans, beans are trendy. Beans are sassy, beans are jazzy. And of course, there's many ways to have beans. I think the best way to actually have beans is to soak your own beans from dry or your own lentils and to cook them either as is or to put them in soups and stews and salads and however you fancy to make them, making tacos, chilies, there's a zillion ways to work with beans. But really a lot of this bean growth trend is coming from the bean pasta and the bean chips and all of this, which I really consider just in the same category as number one, which was really all this convenience food. So I would say if you wanna get in on the bean trend, get some dry beans, they're the cheapest option. You get the most wide variety of types of beans to cook. Um, they are shelf-stable. Well, I guess the other stuff would be too. Maybe not so much the chips because they have the lousy oils in them. And also remember that when you buy canned beans, they, for the most part, unless they're Eden brand, they are not going to be soaked. So that's something to think about with the anti-nutrient load. And of course the can, the can has heavy metals, not just mercury, but also copper. So there's a lot to be said for getting your own um, beans and cooking them. Or like I mentioned, I think on the prior broadcast, the brand Jovial, they come in glass jars, but they can get expensive if you're solely eating your beans that way. So it's nice to see that beans are having uh, a moment of oh, something else that I'm not really into, which is part of the bean trend. You'll see recipes for this, or you'll also see like snack packs you can buy in the store or online. It's beans that are cooked so they're crunchy and they're like doused with like some type of oil and spices and stuff. Very ill for digestion. Um, beans should be well cooked and soft. That's what you want in order to shuttle out stress hormones, to have a good bowel movement, to get enough fiber in your diet, to get advantage of all the minerals. Uh, we don't want to be eating hard dried beans, beans cooked with polyunsaturated fats or beans in a can. So that would be number seven on this list. Okay, onward to a little bit more now. Okay, so number eight on this list would be that liquids are important. Um, oftentimes we're told just to drink water. Water is fantastic, but there's so many other amazing liquids we could drink. And it doesn't have to be caffeine. There's so much um, onus 
in this Western society about drinking caffeine beverages, having coffee in the morning, taking tea breaks throughout the day, having espresso after dinner. It's really become very much part of the culture. Do you have to participate in that? You do not. You can drink things like artesian spring water. You could drink kefir, raw milk, um, floral teas, fruit juice. There are so many things to be drinking. I wouldn't drink an excess of fruit juice and I would make sure it was freshly squeezed too. But there's a bone broth. There's so many things to be drinking these days. Um, all different types of maybe herbal teas that aren't on the estrogenic side. You could be doing like a burdock tea for liver cleansing, maybe some nettles, dandelion. So think outside the box when it comes to beverages. The next on the list is cooking without recipes. So once you get the gist of things, have fun. Don't be so rigid and experiment with things. Of course, if we're doing something like baking, sticking to a recipe, especially when it comes to certain measurements for, let's say, a batter, that, of course, makes sense. But when we're cooking and we're just freestyling a savory meal, have fun with it. You don't have a certain ingredient. The recipe calls for onions. Use scallions. You don't have scallions. Use shallots. So just adapt as you go, and maybe you'll find out that you like it better this way. Next on the list is optimize for how you feel after. So the true measure of a healthy food, not just healthy in general, but healthy for you is how do you feel after you consume it, not how good you feel when you're eating it. Optimizing for mouth pleasure is how you become a glutton. And the whole idea of a cheat day, I think goes hand in hand with this culture of restrictive diets, eating disorders. How about every day we just eat food that is healthy, that works for us, that doesn't make it seem like we need a quote cheat day. And then we also do things like we get regular exercise and we wake up with the sun and we turn off our lights when the sun goes down. Why don't we practice that style of living, which will naturally keep us at a slim weight as opposed to restriction and then binging. This is a really groovy one. Actually, no, this one comes next, but this is one too we've talked about a lot. Cooking with healthy lipids. It's simple to figure out what oils are healthy. Does it come from a fruit like an avocado or an olive? And I would also include macadamia in that, even though it's a nut. It's the only nut really with a monounsaturated profile. So those are good oils. Does it come from an animal? That's it. If it comes from a plastic jug and it was processed with hexane, you want to avoid like the plague. Simple stuff. We've talked about it ad nauseum. This one I thought was really groovy. Create your family cookbook. Family cookbooks are a lost art and need to make a comeback. It's a good time of year to ask family members for their recipes and to collate with them. So sometimes these recipes unfortunately disappear forever when a family member passes away. So this is something that we need to pass down from generation to generation. And nowadays we can make one online with a PDF. We can share it just with a click of an email. So making a family recipe cookbook is I think a wonderful idea so you have all those recipes. It could even be something that's completely just your recipes too. It could be really anything you want, but creating your own recipe cookbook, even if you have tons of cookbooks, and recipe clippings and files. I mean, I probably, if I went through all of my recipes, not just my cookbooks and my online things, but just my own recipes that I've clipped throughout the years and put in shoeboxes and envelopes, I probably have, I don't know, maybe close to a thousand, if not more. Then you have my online collection and my cookbook collection. 
I am looking at hundreds of thousands of recipes I probably have. So it's really nice to be able to have all this and to perhaps make it into some book to share with other humans. The next one on the list is enjoying different cuts of meat. We've talked about this before. People get bored of eating healthy because they think we're only supposed to eat the same three or four cuts of meat. Like for some people it's just, it's chicken breast, it's steak, it's pork chops. And yeah, those are cool, they're fun, but let's branch out a little bit. Oxtail, shanks of lamb, um, beef feet, uh, tendons. Uh, there's so many different cuts. Um, chicken, split chicken breast on the bone. That's a really good one. Pork cheeks. I could go on and on, but yeah, basically go and get some different cuts of meat and think about cooking something new. Another good one, stop worrying. Constantly worrying about every single detail and calorie you're eating is only to make you stressed and unhappy. What you want to do is fix what you can and be at peace with the rest. Viewing food as fuel. This is super important. A lot of us view food as something that is a punishment or something that is a reward, which is really a very kind of... Uh, Abrahamic way of viewing food. I don't care for it personally. So your relationship with food itself needs to change for any real change to occur. Food should always be seen as nourishment. Every single thing you drink and eat goes towards building the cell of your bodies, your cells of your body, and why wouldn't you want to give it the best material? So sometimes mindset can be tremendous when it comes to making change. Never lie to yourself, another really good one. The number one reason why most people fail to reach their goals is because they lie to themselves. They lie to themselves more than they lie to anybody else. So if you're gonna do something, say it and do it and honor your word. If you don't honor your word, you accomplish zero. And then you fall into the same faulty pattern. So if you want to, let's say, snack less or eat less simple carbohydrates or eat less takeaway. That means that you have to plan meals. That means you might have to prep meals. That means you might have to prioritize buying um, certain cuts of, um, of meat and making them available. And we can make all the excuses in the world that we want to make, but it really comes from taking that self-responsibility. And the more we make excuses as to why we don't have what we want, and I'm just using food as an example, but it could really be anything, that means that we're falling into a victim consciousness, which Big Z would love if nearly, like literally all of us were in victim consciousness. They, they love that. They're, they are the um, progenitors of the victim consciousness, and they would love for everybody else to be into what was Oyedei about, victim consciousness, transsexualism, victim consciousness, BLM, victim consciousness. All of this is victim consciousness. Even majority of these, you know, kind of racial movements, victim consciousness, right? Let's break out of that. Let's start with our food. Let's start with our nutrition. Let's think about ways that we can become accountable and responsible. If we keep on making excuses as to why we cannot do something, well, nothing changes if nothing changes. The next one, plan for the inputs. Always set goals that you're in control of. These are things that you can do. It's nice to set targets to reach and these inputs to the, make the best goals to make because you are totally in control of them. You'll either complete them or you won't. So start with small steps. Doesn't have to be something like super drastic, like let's say completely changing the way you eat, like doing a complete 180, you know, um, deleting 10 pounds in a week. Like these are things that usually are not sustainable. The whole idea is to create sustainable sustainability through small steps.
And finally, the last one, conceptualize the year accurately. It's important to plan for the year properly. A year is 365 days, 12 months, and four quarters. Writing goals that are woven into the months themselves increase the odds of success. You can tell yourself, what are my goals for the winter? What are my goals for, yeah, winter to like early spring? So here in the Northeast, like January to April. What are my goals basically until the end of April, you could say? Uh, so what this means is to set overarching goals to achieve throughout the year and then break them down into mini goals for each quarter. So if your long-term goal is to, let's say, cook meals every day of the year or like five or six days per year and work out five days a week, you can start by doing that small. You can just start by implementing small things, maybe having some meals that are leftovers, maybe starting with smaller workouts that are 20 minutes or something like that. So then you'll get more down to each quarter and every month you attack a portion of each chunk and this makes it easier to steer you in the right direction throughout the year. So that's all I have for today on this little tidbit entitled Food Trends of the Year. A lot of good food for thought right there about how to set goals, what things are so 2023, and what we're going to look forward to in this year. Basically living life on our own terms, eating well, whatever that means for you, ditching the diets, ditching the self-flagellation, uh, ditching the extremes, and living with radical responsibility. That's really what it's all about, and self-accountability, because being in victim consciousness is, um, is really no way to live. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing, and it only gets worse the more we down-spiral into it. And I had mentioned something about this on um, Talmud Graham yesterday. Here's a bit of this coming from the perspective of victim consciousness to leave you with a little, a little morsel. Negative emotions such as frustration, resentment, anger, guilt, shame, helplessness, despair, disappointment, uncertainty, loneliness, annoyance, sadness, powerlessness, confusion and hurt change our hormonal state, increasing cortisol, decreasing body temperature, and decreasing metabolic activity. So the longer we live in this downward spiral of poor me, uh, everyone else is to blame, um, the world is against me, I can't control anything, well, if you believe it, it's true. And the longer you engage in recycling trauma, the trauma leads to inflammation and disease in the body and mental disorders. So we want to avoid that, uh, and we want to avoid anything that is zoggy. Because zog equals no good. All right, that's all for me. I hope everyone is doing well so far in this year of 2024. Things are going very well for me. My um, break from all of this has been exceedingly nourishing, nourishing my yin. That's what this season is all about. That's what life is really all about, is nourishing the yin. And part of yin is pleasure, because we live in this society that says, get stuff done, check it off your list restrict this, and then binge later, which is really a buy now, pay later. We're better off living from a place of responsibility, accountability, and pleasure, and then we will get the life that we want. Until next time, Satnam.